Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto finance to global macro. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. This week, I chat with Jeff Wang, head of Americas at Amber Group. I was super excited to chat with one of our own for this episode. We talked about Amber's new focus on the prosumer crypto market and went into detail about the yield enhancement products on Amber's new platform, Amber App. Also listen on for Jeff's thoughts on the current crypto market flow, as well as what he thinks this whole Wall Street bets, GameStop, Robinhood saga is really about. As always, thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Jeff, welcome to Crypto Unstacked. Thanks for having me. Always wanted to be on this. I'm super excited to have one of our own on the show. It's been a while, actually, since I last had someone on from Amber. If you guys haven't tuned in to my earlier episode with Annabelle Huang, I really do encourage it. During that conversation, we talked about our market views at the time, which was, I believe, back in April of 2020, and the way we think about structured products. And today's conversation with Jeff will definitely build on this. I know he has a wealth of knowledge to share. Um, but before we do that, Jeff, do you want to explain a bit about your role in heading up our Americas team from Vancouver? Uh, yeah. So my name is Jeff. Uh, you know, I head up the Amber team in North America. So essentially, you know, the office here looks after everything across the board for all of Amber's clients. So, you know, we take care of OTC trading, execution, anyone wanting to trade on our app, on our institutional platform, Amber Pro operations. So we do it all here. So we service everything across the board. You know, we, we're developing client relationships in this time zone. And it's been, you know, a really exciting past year, I'd say. And how big is your team over there? So we are five people, so fairly small uh, in terms of uh, as an office for Amber. So myself, we have a couple other traders, another salesperson, and uh, an IT developer that helps cover all our technical needs. I think there's so much room to grow, and that will really be our focus for this year, which is international expansion, you know, really just cementing our operations, right, in a part of the world that has so much to offer when it comes to crypto trading and investing. So yeah, really looking forward to you growing out the team in the Americas with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, unfortunately, 2020 was the year I was hopefully going to travel a little bit more to more of the blockchain events. I think we we're going to go to a few together and obviously that went awry. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out and meeting more of kind of the crypto community uh, once we can travel again. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jeff, you are a markets focused guy. Prior to Amber, you ran FX spot and derivatives trading for Asia at Morgan Stanley. I think that is a great a great background to have because when we think about the crypto markets, there's a lot of differences and similarities that I think we're just coming to understand slowly as the market is maturing. So I would love for you to just break down some of the metrics you track on a day-to-day -day basis to monitor crypto market flows um, in both spot and derivatives and kind of talk a bit about the current market positioning right now, as we're chatting in, you know, January 2021, where the markets are headed. Sure. We're seeing a lot of people, traders, investors from the traditional space entering 
entering the crypto space, third and fourth quarters of 2020, a lot of big names. I expect 2021 is going to be just continuous uh, kind of headlines of institutions, basically not being able to ignore the crypto space anymore. So yeah, I think I would welcome, you know, traders from all different asset classes to take a look at crypto. And I think they'll find it's not too, too dissimilar. If you're used to trading things, um, you know, you can look at Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these these coins as really just an extension of that and then another asset. So, you know, one way we look at how the market is positioned or, you know, how what people are thinking is aggregated open interest. And there's various sites that kind of aggregate this. And essentially it's taking the, the open interest of all futures contracts and you kind of add it up across all the major exchanges. It gives you an idea, I guess, of how active it is, how many people are trading it. And at this point, it's off the, the all-time highs. And the all-time highs are kind of coinciding with the all-time highs in, in, in the price. We're mm -hmm. over 40000 mm -hmm. So that's probably no surprise. And as we've come back off, the open interest has come off a little bit. But it, it's still very high relative to you know, this time last year or, or most of 2020. So there's still a lot of people trading it. Um, I guess it's natural for it to kind of take a breather after coming coming off the all-time highs, as I said. So it's still a lot of people involved. Um, and in terms of, I guess, how people are thinking and, you know, what we're hearing from the client base and, and people we talk to, I think one general view I hear a lot of is that people felt like they didn't, they weren't long enough. Um, <laughs> and that's natural. So, I mean, even people who, you know, if I'm looking at them, I think you have a lot on and in their minds, they're never long enough. I mean, I think these are a lot of guys who have been in, I guess, Bitcoin for a long time. So I think a lot of people have been expecting these kind of moves. And so I guess when it finally happens, they don't, they're not, you know, absolutely max long, leverage long. They feel like, you know, they're missing out and giving some back. So I think whether, you know, people were long like 0.1 of a Bitcoin or hundreds of Bitcoin, I feel like they all felt that they were not long enough. So one thing, you know, they're all saying is, we're going to buy the dip, you know, we're going to add, when, when should we be adding? When are we when can we buy? How does it look now? Um, so really sentiment is not really people looking to dump or take profit or completely get out of positions, but really adding more if we're, if we're talking specifically about Bitcoin. So, you know, buy the dip is kind of what everyone is saying. And, you know, we saw 30,000 kind of be really well supported quite a few times and we bounced off there. So, I mean, that's a pretty big level that people, I guess, are actually buying the dip. You're saying how aggregate open interest has been shrinking. I guess this has been, you know, the past few weeks. Do you think that it is a sign that people are less bullish um, institutional investors specifically? Do you think that they're unwinding positions because they think this move up is way too volatile? Do you think that institutions are finally saying, okay, we've, we've seen a rally that is unlike anything we've seen before for a particular asset and they're being more cautious. Is that the sentiment you think? I mean, I guess it's really hard to, to actually know, but I mean, personally, I feel that it's not really institutions that are selling or taking profit. I mean, I guess if we're defining institutions as kind of, um, you know, the traditional, uh, mutual funds or money managers, pension funds, in, in that kind of sense. I think anyone, anyone in that segment who has bought is really looking to hold it as, whether it's a, like 
a hedge or just a, a small part of the portfolio. They're not really looking to be trading it actively, buying and selling. So I think anyone who's kind of taking profit or selling are, are more short-term kind of traders. In dealing with clients, because we work with such a global client base, have there been certain market views that they've shared with you that you were surprised by? Like, I'm looking at the screens all day as well, but this is not a narrative that I see. Have there been these schisms in terms of market views? Has there been an experience with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a, a narrative that clients also ask us about a lot, especially, you know, the clients in, in North America are always asking what people in Asia are thinking. And it's probably the true on the flip side as well. You know, recently, you know, there's been that people saying, uh, you know, U.S. is buying and Asia is dumping in terms of Bitcoin because you see that trend on the on the daily chart. Um, and, you know, that that has carried on a little bit. You see a pattern of that. Um, that's kind of died down a little bit. But, you know, the, the narr- I guess the narrative there is, again, you have a lot of institutions that are slowly accumulating positions. And for some of these big institutions historically in the U.S., even a small position size of them is a fairly big kind of trade in Bitcoin. So it could take them, you know, a fair amount of time to slowly accumulate. So, I mean, I think it could be a bit of that in terms of, you know, these institutions slowly buying into Bitcoin. And then, you know, in Asia, they've been selling into it a little bit more, I'd say. You have participants maybe who have been in it a bit longer, maybe have a lower cost base, some more miners, maybe just doing hedging. And th- I guess this is kind of, you know, a long running running theme, I know, I'm sure, from your, your experience in Asia, the miners are a big, big story there that people always want to know about what they're doing. Yeah. Do you speak with a lot of miners in Asia? Personally, I don't, but obviously, you know, we talk to a lot of our traders and our, our our sales staff in Asia to to get that color. In this recent move up, generally people are are you know long term long term bullish. So I mean, I don't get the sense that anyone or any kind of group of miners is rushing to to sell. If if anything, I think they're longer term very bullish. So I think if anything, they're holding out, which is I guess also contributing to a lack of supply, which is I guess also helped that massive run up in price to all time highs. Yeah, restricting supply um, in the hardware side of things as well. I think uh, there are miners who are kind of have been on the sidelines perhaps, and now they're realizing, wow, I can't get my hands on the most efficient miners, you know, whether it be Bitmain or MicroBT until September of this year. And so there's a really, really high demand on the miner side to just grow operations, if anything, right? So I think you're yeah. on point there. They are long-term accumulators um, and not so swayed by, you know, short-term price dips or anything like that. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of what I'm I'm hearing as well, uh, being being here in Asia. Yeah, I mean, when I first joined, I, well, you know, when I joined crypto, I guess in 2019, one thing that surprised me was the miners' general feeling, even when prices were much lower, is that they didn't want to sell and they would actually kind of loan out uh, the Bitcoin as collateral to get to get money to actually pay, you know, running costs and leverage that and buy more machines, buy more machines. I mean. I think these guys in general are obviously in it for the long haul and they're not, you know, looking for for short-term kind of easy gains here. Yeah. And and they're more profitable than ever with yeah. prices, you know, being at where they are, right? At least from our last conversation, uh meaning my my conversation with Annabelle, what we saw at that time was that the miners who were in a very good position were only thinking about selling 
on an as needed basis to, as you say, cover energy costs, which I think is a bulk of their expenses anyways. And the rest is just finding a good treasury management solution uh, to ensure that money is never just being left on the table and not earning yield, right? That's also Mm -hmm. a really big narrative from this past year and going into this year and what we're focused on as well uh, through some of our treasury products, which we'll get to a little bit later. That's where I think a lot of the competition is across the board, whether it be in Asia or in the US, when we look at miners is how can we service them from the financial products point of view? Mm-hmm. Prior as a trader, you covered a number of products, spot, vanilla, exotic options across G10 and emerging market currencies. And I think similarly in crypto, a good place to turn to, to get a sense of the market's uh, future expectations is the derivatives market, uh, specifically options. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bitcoin options are, for, for our audience, are contracts that give investors the right, but not the obligation to buy and sell a particular crypto asset at a specific price within a set time period. And really, options give investors the chance to make money by betting on which way the price will go um, without needing to own the underlying asset. And so, Jeff, imagine you're you're chatting with a new uh, crypto trader um, and explaining to them what's happening in the options market. You know, what data points do you look to? to form your thoughts on what's happening or just generally talk about what's interesting to you when you look at crypto options. Yeah, it, it can be, you know, uh, an overwhelming and kind of complicated issue, but I guess you can you can kind of really break it down to some some simpler ideas. Um, so one thing uh, I think options traders look at uh, is really the implied vol, implied volatility, which I mean, in simple terms is how much you expect price to move in a, in a given time period. So the higher the implied vol, the more people expect the spot, to, the price to move. And essentially, if you expect the price of the underlying, which is, let's, let's use Bitcoin as an example, if you think Bitcoin is going to be really volatile, it's going to move up and down a lot, you'll be paying more for an option. I guess you can think of an option either as a way to speculate um, or as kind of insurance or even that, you know, as a, as a way to hedge. So Bitcoin options, given the nature of Bitcoin, are the implied volatility is relatively high compared to a lot of assets. A one month Bitcoin option, the, the, vol- the implied volatility is about 120%. If you look at, you know, maybe dollar yen or euro dollar in the FX markets, uh, that number is going to be closer to, to 10%. So this is way, way more volatile uh, because the underlying is more volatile. And ultimately what that means in the option is the option is more expensive in, in volatility terms, but it's not expensive if, you know, the underlying actually moves around a lot because there's ways you can kind of make money from, from when it moves. Um, and the options market is really interesting in Bitcoin because, you know, we're still really early days, I'd say, versus a lot of the the other markets. But what's good, I guess, about coming from a market like FX is that it's a really established, mature market. People have been trading it for a long time. So you can see what products are, are very popular in terms of structure products, yield enhancement with 
institutions, with retail. And essentially you can kind of, you have a blueprint for where you expect the market of, of options and structured products to go. It'll emulate things like, you know, in FX, it'll emulate things that we've seen in equities. We're not there yet because we need more market participants trading it. Uh, we need uh, more liquidity, but we're, we're definitely moving that way. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing much more demand, I think, from, from clients in the past year for options, either as a speculative tool, you know, trying to make money from being right on where the, the underlying spot is going, or uh, as yield enhancement. Talk more about that, the yield enhancement part. How does structuring options play into that, and how do we enable our clients to get additional yield enhancement? Yeah, so I guess I'll, let's. I guess we can walk through a, a very popular product that that we're seeing and that we've launched uh, recently on our Amber app. So you can access it directly yourself, and it's fully customizable. Basically, it starts with a deposit in a token. So, for example, we can start with with Bitcoin. You have you're an investor. You have a bunch of Bitcoin sitting around. You think it's going higher, and you want to earn some extra yield on it, right? You don't want to have it sitting in your wallet just earning nothing. So you can put it into a time deposit, which we have in our app, which is, you know, fully principal protected. Um, you get good yields, you know, depending on, on the tenor, you can get, you know, between six and six percent and up, which is good. You know, it's better than than if you had fiat uh, putting in a bank. Um, but, you know, to really amp it up, uh, if you have a, a certain view, you can get, you know, upwards of, you know, upwards of 50 over 100% annualized yield. And how that works is you would choose a conversion rate and an expiry date. So let's say Bitcoin, you want an expiry in one month's time. And then you choose a conversion rate. And that conversion rate, we'll explain in a little bit. Um, but in this case, you know, Bitcoin right now is roughly 33,000. Um, and, and let's say I want to do a one month deposit with a 40,000 conversion rate. Um, and I believe the yield I checked a bit earlier on that is somewhere around 75% annualized yield. So, you know, very, very good return. Um, but I guess, you know, what's, what's on the other side, why do you get such, such great return? Um, so essentially what is happening here is you're doing a, writing, it's a covered call. So you hold the Bitcoin, you put that on deposit, and then you have a conversion rate of 40,000, which means that if at expiry in one month's time, the spot is above 40,000, so let's say spot is at 42,000 in the, in the market, you are selling that Bitcoin at 40,000, which would be lower than the market at the time, uh, which would trading at 42,000, but much higher than when you put the time deposit on when spot was 33,000. Uh, and why would people do this? Uh, a lot of people have the view um, that they're happy to sell some Bitcoin at 40,000 when spots here at 33,000. So um, they're happy to do that and they get 75 you know, plus percent yield and they sell a little bit of Bitcoin at expiry at 40,000, which they might've done anyways. And if spot is under 40,000, they basically get their Bitcoin back and they get all that yield paid back, back to them as well. So this product is, is kind of super popular in, in things like FX and foreign exchange. It's like a bread and butter product because it, it's safe for the investor because it's principal protected. Um, although you might get back, you know, a different token at expiry, but you select the strike or the conversion rate. Principal protected marking it to Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So in, you know, in, in the app that we have now, I think, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. 
uh, what we built. You can essentially select any day. You know, you, you can select any expiry date. Uh, you can select pretty much any strike you want. And, you know, it'll tell you what the yield is. And if you want to do it, you just do it directly in the app. So it's very powerful in terms of being very tailored to every every investor. This is not everyone wants to do, you know, one month, 40,000 conversions. Mm -hmm. Some people might actually have some kind of payment they need. So they think, okay, well, my expiry date is going to be three weeks because, you know, I have something to do with, with, with those tokens at that time. Uh, and you could pick, you know, the conversion rate, however you're comfortable with. Some people... Are really aggressive and they'll they'll, they'll do something maybe at thirty four thousand and and what they'll get is you know more yield because they're selling an option and selling a closer option they'll get higher yield um, but you know it's it's whatever is suitable for every person on on their own and that's the great part of it before when you had to do products like this um, you know when I when I was doing this you know a long long time ago I won't give away my age but like decades ago you'd have to talk to someone. And, you know, they'd have to punch a bunch of numbers in and it would take a long time and it wasn't, you know, super, it wasn't easy. And you wouldn't check a lot of different dates in conversion rates because it would just take too long. Whereas, you know, on the app now, literally you can change the date, change the strike, see the yield, say, well, you know, that's not really for me. Uh, and you keep on playing with it until you find something you like. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's very advanced. It's, it's pretty amazing. And I think it'll be very popular. I mean, uh, I do it myself. And it's super pain-free and, and super easy on the app. And you can monitor how it's going and everything. You talked about a lot there. And I just want to make sure to do a recap for our audience who might be a little bit lost right now, have never experienced the app for themselves, are new to Amber. So let's do a bit of a backtrack and make sure that our audience understands uh, what these products are and how to access them. So the first type of product that you mentioned is our Amber Earn product, right? And these are customizable fixed income products that pay some sort of fixed stable rate based on the tenor of your subscription. And this can be anywhere between one to 360 days on the app and Basically, upon maturity, the interest is paid back to the user credited to the wallet, and these are principal protected, so the user gets back their initial investment. And these are very simple. You can think of them as bilateral loans. Is that a fair way to categorize what this type of product is? I, I think so, yeah. I, I can see why you're the host of the show. You put everything so much more eloquently than than I did with my ramblings. That was oh, no. Okay. So that is the initial product that we introduced. Actually, it was an institutional product on Amber Pro. And we, as we were thinking about how to access the prosumer market, we basically ported over the institutional rails into a very easy to use intuitive app where everything is automated, right? Um, yeah. As a user, you don't need to reach out to me or yourself to structure any of these types of fixed income products. You can do it yourself, which I think makes the accessibility you know, very, very easy. So that is the first type of product, Amber Earn. That's been very, very popular. And what we wanted to do based on the success of this product was say, okay, how can we offer even more yield enhancement, right? The rest of the market is already doing what we're mm -hmm. doing, paying a fixed yield or depositing crypto on, on the platform. Mm -hmm. And so that's where this next product 
yield boost, which can also be thought of as a dual currency product, which is also, as you mentioned, very popular in FX trading. Um, This is where we thought if we were to build out an options type product on the back end, basically, um, how do we really do it in a way that is intuitive, right? That's always the challenge for the prosumer market who may not be as sophisticated or may not have a lot of trading background relative to the institutional guys that we've historically dealt with in the past. And so yield boost similar to earn is just as customizable, if not more, right? As you mentioned, you get to decide on your investment amount, um, your preferred strikes and tenors. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, this type of flexibility is beyond the existing standard set of options expiries in the market right now. Is that fair to say? That's very fair. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the frustrations of uh, traditional OTC traders in with the options market right now is most of the liquidity is on listed exchanges. So, you know, there's set expiry dates, there's set strikes. Um, so you're kind of forced to choose those because that's where the the market is and that's where the liquidity is. Um, but for, you know, our, our own customers who deal directly with us on the app, they can choose any date, any strike, which is not available outside on any kind of listed exchange. So it's, it's, it's a lot of, I think, benefit to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned these are covered products. Can you just break down what that is? Like, what is a covered call? What is a covered put? And and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. The underlying meaning of having a covered call is that means you hold the, the asset and you're selling a call on, on an amount to sell that. So there's no extra extra losses involved or extra kind of leverage in that, in that sense. So, you know, we'll use an example again. So you have one Bitcoin. Uh, and you want to put that on the app into a yield boost and you do that. So the option amount will also be one. So, you know, if you're above the conversion rate, you'll only sell that one Bitcoin that you had. It's not like there's leverage and if spot goes to, you know, a hundred thousand, now you're on the hook for all these extra losses. Really all you do is you sell your one Bitcoin at the conversion rate. Um, so, you know, I guess there is a stigma of options of, you know, there's leverage and it can be very dangerous and it, and it can be uh, very difficult to manage. But in terms of having a covered call or, or a covered put, it's it's very safe in the sense that, you know, you're not going to be on the hook for for all these extra leverage kind of losses because you, you you already own the underlying. So you're just selling that at some, some price. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, I have dealt with um, a, a few people who kind of look at this product and I, I think they're coming from two different angles here. One is they ask, like, should I think of this as basically margin trading, which obviously no, right? It's not a levered product, Correct. Um, but they think of it as, well, the whole point of this is so that I can monetize my market view based on my risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. And so they're sort of using this as I don't know if proxy is the best word, but a way to basically trade options in this sort of non-levered way. But then the the reason why that's a little bit dangerous is because the whole point of having this type of product is so that you as a user can commit to buying a dip or selling a rally within this sort of 
uh, customizable parameter that you set for yourself, right? And it's dangerous to think of it as, oh, if the market rips and I'm short, or if I am long and the market corrects, um, I don't feel comfortable being out of my position and and basically accepting losses, mm. right? The whole point is that if the market goes one way or the other, I am okay. Kind of dealing with folks who are you know new onboarding to the app and trying out this product. What type of mindset should you have as a user of Yield Boost? You think? Yeah, that's a I guess a really good point for people who haven't done things like this before. Um, you know, I think. Like you said, people have to kind of at the onset have to be okay with with the conversion rate and what that means for them. So, you know, for so buying on a dip or selling on on a pop. So, you know, in holding everything else equal. So, if you're doing these yield boosts and you're doing it for one month, and you know, Bitcoin is super boring over that month. It doesn't move. You know, it's great because you know you earn, let's say, you know, seventy five percent yield in my earlier example, annualized yield. Um, and you, you can do it again. And, and let's say, you know, spot is again, quiet, nothing happens. You're earning this great yield. Um, I guess, you know, for full kind of disclaimers and stuff, you know, like you mentioned, um, uh, there'll be times when, and I experienced this actually. So I was one of those people who didn't feel like we, I had enough Bitcoin on the move up because I was doing a lot of these products and essentially, you know, I was saying I'm ha- when spot was at, you know, 12,000, I'm saying I, I did conversions at 15,000. And at the time, I was, you know, I was sell- so I would get converted, essentially selling my Bitcoin at fifteen thousand, uh, and then I would do another yield boost. Um, but obviously, in the in the case when the market just rips one way without any kind of pause and goes from fifteen thousand, you know, almost in a straight line up to forty thousand, <laughs> basically I was buying yeah. back Bitcoin higher than I had sold. Um, which, you know, with with twenty twenty hindsight, you know. Everyone would have just been max long had they known max long leverage without any opportunity, <laughs> right? With, right, right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the disclaimer is yeah, definitely. You know, if things trade that way, some people might be upset that they're selling those Bitcoin. But I'm sh- probably when you ask them at the inception of the trade, are you happy to sell at fifteen thousand when it spot was at twelve thousand and it wasn't very volatile? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm very happy to sell if it gets there. Obviously, it turns out that it kept on ripping. And then people obviously can have kind of a change of heart um, when they see the price action. So, they're, they're, yeah, they're, there's disclaimers. But, you know, for disciplined uh, people who, who go in knowing what they uh, are okay with, I think it's, it's it's a great product. And we've seen, you know, a pretty a very huge kind of popularity with it since we've launched, especially since you can, you know, customize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to know that it's a way for you to structure a fully deterministic payoff, right? And really nothing is left discretionarily up to Amber, you know, to give a perspective on how we think about this as well. We are market neutral, right? And so when you are taking a position and say we're buying or selling a call, we are hedging. Mm-hmm. ourselves. Yep. Um, so can you talk a bit about our risk management perspective as well? When we were thinking about creating this product, how we're managing this product, what is our position? Yeah. Firstly, I want to say, I think that that was a really important point you made when you said it's the, it's totally deterministic, meaning when you enter this, this yield boost, 
we can draw the payoff diagram at expiry and that doesn't change like you said so you know if spot is at a certain level you know exactly what payout you get and or what token you get back um so there's no kind of changing terms on the go you already know at inception um but to your question about i guess risk management yeah i mean so because it's kind of totally customizable to to the our, our app users um and we mentioned that you know only lists a lot of listed strikes and listed dates are kind of for for trading in the market um ember essentially is you know taking the role of a risk manager um because if everyone wants to do you know 23 day option and the only option that we can hedge it with is a 30 day option we kind of have to dynamically manage that over over time uh and i guess we'll reduce our risk by trading options by trading the underlying and i guess in general you know we have a market neutral view on, on stuff like this so we're looking just to to, to help facilitate uh, our customer trades and we're not trading against them uh, we're not trying to um, you know run them over in any way we're just staying market neutral for the most part yeah if we can sum up the whole point of yield boost and amber earn it's to abstract away the complexity of getting exposure to interest rate products in crypto and for yield boost specifically which is really a a novel way to access the crypto derivatives market in a way that isn't so overwhelming i'd say right because just a few clicks of a button you know assuming you know uh, what you're getting yourself into, assuming you understand what your risk tolerance is and how much you're willing to put on the table there, that it really is kind of taking on this, I don't know, DeFi mentality, right? To say, things don't need to be this hard in finance. There are complicated structures um, for, for years and years and years. Something like this, structured products have only been available to a specific subset of the investor base. And what crypto is about, and specifically uh, decentralized finance, is pioneering just a way forward for all types of folks who are sophisticated or not sophisticated to participate in the market in a fair way. Mm -hmm. um, and this gets to, I think, the point of democratizing finance, right? And we're all about democratizing crypto finance, as that's our specialty at Amber. So yeah, do you have like thoughts on kind of where DeFi is headed? There's been a, a bit of news lately to say the least um, about GameStop and Robinhood. And really, I mean, there's lots of things we can say about that, but you know, it really is part of this revolution, I think that we're seeing in finance. So yeah, what are your thoughts on all that? That's a great segue uh, <laughs> into the DeFi space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, firstly, I think I want to say, I view myself as a kind of a slow adopter into kind of blockchain and crypto and and seeing where the value is and where the growth is. So, you know, I, I'm I wasn't kind of a, an early niche adapter, and I, I've kind of come around. And like you mentioned, with this GameStop situation, and you know, on the day we're recording this, it's, it's it's been big news, especially because of what happened with Robinhood today. Um, so, you know, just as a sum it up, Robinhood essentially this morning before market open barred uh, their users from 
um, buying positions in um, I think seven stocks, which are you know right now the ones that are moving the most that everyone is uh, really concentrating on, um, and it really you know it caused an uproar uh, with the users, um, people, all sorts of crazy speculation of why it was done. You know, after market hours, it, it was revealed. I guess you know they had some financial constraints, some liquidity constraints, but all of this has really, really uh, reinforced uh, the view that DeFi is kind of inevitable and it's going to be the future. So, I mean, you know, again, I'm a, I feel like I'm a late adopter, but this has really cemented it for me in, within the past kind of week or two that you can see real concrete examples of why DeFi is going to be needed in the future. So, you know, one thing from this Robinhood fallout, you can say, oh, you know, they should just go to bigger brokers, go to the banks. But ultimately, you know, you come up to the, with, against the same kind of issues when you're dealing with uh, one person, you give all that say to, you deal with the bank and the bank can say, you know, you can't trade or transact in this. So it really has cemented the view for me that, you know, decentralized finance and in all different kinds of forms is going to be, you can see case, uh, youth cases for why a decentralized exchange is so important. So everyone has a level playing field. Everyone is playing by the same rules. And that's kind of another arc of the GameStop story, right? And it's always the narrative in the media is, is the big hedge fund institutions versus the retail trader and why, mm -hmm. I guess you're getting so much kind of support for the retail guy. It's kind of a David versus Goliath. And, you know, generally institutions have had an advantage. They get more leverage, they get better systems. They have access to things that the retail investor hasn't had access to. So, you know, traditionally, it's been just accepted that, you know, it wasn't a level playing field, but I think more and more people are realizing that it should be a level playing field and they won't accept anything less. So I think, you know, everyone just wants to play by the same rules. So, yeah, I read a Wall Street Journal article about this Wall Street Spets uh, founder, and he was quoted saying this, which is, I mean, absolutely encapsulates everything you just said, which is a massive group of people that is on, on Wall Street Bets with over 5.3 million subscribers, um, have organized where they collectively have a seat at the poker table, yeah. which was previously invite only. I mean, that's absolutely what this is. <laughs> it is, yeah, I think showing up the professional investors, this is not your turf alone anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the, some of the pushback you heard was, you know, this is market manipulation. They're they're working together to to, to push stocks. But actually, I mean, you know, some there's some pretty bad language and crude humor on on the board. But essentially, it's someone you know putting an idea out of why they think a stock should go higher or lower, and other people saying, yeah, you know what, I actually agree. You know, we like this stock. Is that what they like to say? Uh, and they're coming together. And people have pointed out that you know, idea dinners on the institutional side have been a thing for forever. So what an idea dinner would be is, you know, let's say the top or 10 of the big world's biggest hedge funds would just get together behind closed doors and, you know, mm -hmm. people would pitch stocks and other people would listen and, you know, you could walk out and everyone knows what everyone else is thinking. And, you know, the buying power that those guys would have would be amazing. And I guess essentially Wall Street Bets is an open door kind of idea dinner. I mean, everyone can go look at it. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's all about the level playing field and everyone playing by the same rules, um, which is why DeFi is going to be so important. You know, everyone's going to be bound by, by, by the same kind of conditions.
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Jeff, this has been so fun. Um, I, I'm really glad that we're able to deep dive on the markets, where we're at currently in you know January 2021, what types of new products we're building, not only for the institutional market, but also for the prosumer market as well, which I think will only grow exponentially as you know, as more people realize what type of interesting opportunities crypto is able to provide and you know this last bit about defi and <laughs> the the whole just saga that you know is is going to be playing out over the next uh, few months is a primer into kind of a lot of the uh, focus will be seeing CFI like platforms like Amber pay more attention to in the future in terms of how we're able to service our clients in a way that covers pretty much anything that they want to trade and how they want to trade, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it be on the market making side or it be on the, the sort of execution side, which I know you take care of pretty much full time there. Mm-hmm. It's just always iterating with an open mind, I think is the the best way to put it. And just understanding what the risks are when it comes to DeFi, right? Because it's it's not all uh, sort of green grass and rainbows. There are lots of pitfalls you can fall into if you're if if you're not, you know, very aware of you know, how to manage operations. But I think going forward, do you do you think that we'll be getting more into DeFi um, as we understand the risks? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it'll be nothing's going to happen overnight. I think, I think you know, DeFi and, and CFI can coexist for a amount of time. There's kind of pros and cons of, of both sides. So, um, but I definitely do think that you know we're we're heading at least toward more DeFi than than what there is now. Well, wonderful, Jeff. Can you just let our audience know um, if they're an institution, how they could reach out to us on board to the platform and for the uh, you know, more prosumer individual users, how they can access the app. Yeah, I think you can, uh, you can definitely onboard through our website at ambergroup.io, ambergroup.io. And, you know, we can guide you there to the app for, for people who want to use the app. And as Leslie mentioned, there's the Amber Pro platform, which is traditionally preferred by institutions. It's a bit more of a, uh, an institutional kind of setup, but anyone can also onboard there. I'm glad you mentioned it because we have rolled out some new um, features on Amber Pro, so you can do uh, executions on not just the major tokens now, but you can execute on some of the smaller altcoins. Uh, you can choose what kind of order style. You can do time weighted, volume weighted, iceberg. So yeah, we're rolling out a lot of products for the whole gamut of of finance users in crypto. Jeff, so fun to have you on the show, and really want to be doing more of these. Great. Thanks so much. <laughs> The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group.